And so this person put the following message on their answering machine. I am not available right now, but thank you for caring enough to call. I am making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of the changes. God often calls people who need to make some changes in their life. Because God is willing to make the hard call. And the thing about God, He knows how to get the message through. And we're going to see that when we read one of the most important calls in the history of faith. Acts chapter 9. You know that the church is starting to be persecuted. Religious leaders among Judaism are starting to see this new movement of Jesus as a threat. And one of the most zealous persecutors is a rabbi, a Pharisee named Saul. He was even there agreeing to the murder of Stephen. But he wouldn't stop there. Verse 1. Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way. Whether men or women. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They found the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. By the way, side note, have you ever felt like you needed to give the Lord extra information? Ananias answered, Lord, now I've heard many reports about this man, like maybe you hadn't, and all the harm he's done to your serfs in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must Suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up. And was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained 
his strength. Now, you know, if you're a Pharisee, especially a young one, you really look up to your mentors. And Paul had one of the best. He was a man named Gamaliel. And he agreed with Gamaliel on about everything except one. He totally repudiated Gamaliel's policy of tolerance. If you'll read back in chapter 5 later, Gamaliel said, now here's the thing about this Jesus movement. Messiah movements are always propping up and they always fail because God's not in them. Now, if God's not in this movement, it's going to fail. Leave it alone. But if God is in it, we don't want to be opposing God. So let's just leave this thing alone. And Saul is going, duh, Jesus is dead. You can't have people running around saying he's the Messiah when we know he's dead. You've got to stop this and you've got to stop it now. And not just here, you've got to stop it wherever it is. He wasn't content just to stop it in Jerusalem. He wanted to go on mission trips to stop it. And so he takes off to Damascus. Now imagine, he has rationalized doing the most terrible things to the most decent people. And worst of all, he's doing it in the name of God. Why does God even bother with him? Because the caller does not view anyone as irredeemable. It's specifically why God called him long after he chose him, because God wanted to send that message through him. See, look with me at Galatians chapter 1 and notice this. God, who set me apart from birth, and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Now, did you notice something that seems strange? Okay, God, if you called Him at birth, but you didn't tell Him He was called until after He had persecuted all those people, your timing's off, God. Why didn't you line up the time of your choosing with the time of your calling and spare a whole lot of innocent people from suffering? I'll tell you why. Because God was thinking about you. Because Paul is heaven's proof that nobody can send themselves outside the reach of the grace of God. Nobody. That what we want to call trash, heaven calls a treasure. Look at Paul's words in 1 Timothy 1. Now here's a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. You see what he's saying? God made an example out of me. Nobody can say, I have sinned myself outside the reach of the grace of God. Because it even reached me. The worst of sinners. I did the most terrible things to the most decent people. And I did it in the name of God. And God's grace still reached me. So it can reach you too. Some years ago at the Tucson Gym and Mineral Show, this guy's walking down and sees in this display this rock about the size of a potato with a bluish tint. He tries to not show his excitement, and he asks the guy behind the table, how much you want for that rock, 15 bucks? And the guy said, that's one of my ugliest rocks. You can have it for 10. Not, really, right, not realizing that he just sold a 1,900-carat star sapphire, the largest ever found by over 800 carats, valued at about 
million dollars. But it took someone who loved stones to see the value in what most people thought should just be thrown out. And Paul says, that's what God did with me. So that you would know that God sees value in you too. Though when everybody else wants to discard you, God says, you're not trash, you're a treasure. See, Jesus chose Paul a long time before Paul ever chose Jesus. And he did the same thing with you. And God's calling you just like he called Paul. And listen, when when God calls, don't pick up the phone expecting you're going to negotiate. God's call is sovereign. Even if it's a hard call, he expects only one answer. And I know some of you these last few weeks during this series have been wrestling with the call of God. And I'm going to tell you why it's hard to answer the phone. First, it's hard to admit the darkness of our past orientations. See, Paul took great pride in the orientation of his life before his call. He knew the plans that he had for his life. He knew the agenda that he had mapped out for his life. And he unreservedly asked God to bless them. See, he could not see that he could not see. But confidence in your orientation doesn't guarantee peace of mind. Something was bugging Saul. In his own account of his conversion later, he would say to one, before one of the Roman officials that Jesus said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Why do you keep doing, Saul, what's given you so much inner turmoil? You know, when you're on a road trip, you've got time to think. And Paul had time to think about a lot of things he couldn't reconcile. He could never reconcile how it is that you can study the law of God so much and still not be able to keep it. The law of God tells you what sin is. But it doesn't give you power to avoid it. He never could reconcile the reality of the historical Jesus. He knew people that knew people that got healed by Jesus. He knew people who knew people that saw dead people get raised by Jesus. He didn't know what to do with that. And he didn't know what to do with the lives of these Christians he was killing. People like Stephen. These were the most decent, noble people he'd ever seen in his life. But one thing trumps all these doubts, and that is Jesus is dead. And a dead Messiah is the ultimate contradiction. And so he's walking on the road, and Jesus says, I'm going to have to open that boy's eyes. He can't see that he can't see, and so I'm going to open his eyes by shutting them. And he went blind. So that Jesus could show him how dark his past orientation had been. And Saul's first question wasn't, what about my sight? But, who are you, Lord? And when he said the word Lord, he's saying, I'm never again going to be in charge of my plans. I'm never again going to be the master of my own life. See, I want you to hear something. We'll talk about it more in a second. When you hear the resurrection of Jesus, what do you hear? A doctrine? It's not a doctrine. It's a life-changing reality. 
You've got to reorient your whole life around the fact that Jesus is back from the dead. It touches your finances. It touches your sexuality. It touches your relationships. It touches your hobbies and your leisure. It touches your retirement. It touches your politics. There's no part of your life that must not be reoriented if this one thing is true. That Jesus is alive. You see, before he knew that, Paul was willing to kill people. Because of Jesus. And in one second, he's willing to die because of Jesus. To join that group that he had been putting in prison. That army of martyrs. Recently, I read a book called The Hundred Greatest Events in Church History. And I, I realized just by telling you that, I've confirmed your theory that I'm a total nerd. I know that. And one of the 100 events in the book was the martyrdom of Polycarp. Second century, about 150, 60 A.D. Polycarp was bishop of Smyrna. They took him into this arena there in Smyrna. And all the people are all around screaming. Murdering Christians was sport of the day. Because the Christians were atheists. They were atheists because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. 86-year-old man, the Roman official says, just recant your faith, Polycarp says, for 80 and 6 years he's done me no harm. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? The Roman official said, sir, I am respectful of your age. If you will just say, away with the atheist, I'll let you go. So the old man looked up at all those people up in the stands and he said, away with the atheist. And they tied him to a stake. And they set him on fire. This was Paul's new orientation. It's hard. It's hard to submit to suffering for a different vision. A hard call usually involves accepting hardships. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I don't care what those... Guys on TV say, to tell somebody that if you'll become a Christian, all your troubles will go away is libel. It's not gospel. Because you're attributing to Jesus something He never said. Jesus said, they hated me. And they're going to hate you too. So you cannot answer the call of God by saying, okay God, you can use me as long as you don't let anybody Touch me. Paul would later write to Timothy and he would say, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm not sure those of us in the West understand how true those words are. Did you know in the 20th century more Christians were murdered than in any century since Christ? Did you see the cover of USA Today last week on Wednesday? How the Christians in Iraq are being murdered. Just a few days ago, they had a story of this one young man. He's out in the street and some thugs come up and make him get on his knees. And they ask him this question. 
You are a spy and an American collaborator, aren't you? He said, no, no. Listen to what they said next. Isn't it true that you're a Christian? He said, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm an Iraqi just like you. And they put a bullet in his head. This is happening every single day around the world. Now in the West, thankfully, we live in a country where these kinds of things don't happen. But the West is the only part of the world where Christianity isn't growing either. Perhaps it's going to take persecution to make the church in the West decide, are we going to be players or fakers? The fact of the matter is, historically, persecution does not impede the growth of the kingdom of God. It empowers it. Judy Anderson, her husband, worked for a world relief in West Africa. She was a daughter of missionaries to Zaire. And she says that um, some years ago they had a big celebration to, uh, for the 100th anniversary of missionaries to Zaire. And at the end of a long day of eating and singing and worshiping, this old man said, please let me say something. Don't let me take what I know to the grave. See, he was, uh, his parents, his grandparents were alive when those first missionaries came. He said they thought those Christians were strange and their message was strangers. So they decided to test them. And they decided to test them by poisoning them to watch how they died. Starting with their kids. And the old man said, it's the way they died that convinced us that's how we wanted to live. Paul had the good life, folks. And he traded it for a life where he's going to get beaten by rods. He's going to get stoned. He's going to get whipped. When you go to a new town, you check out the hotels. When Paul went to a new town, he checked out the jails. Because that's where he was going to wind up sooner or later. And eventually, he's going to get executed. Now, why in the world would you trade the life he had for the life he got? Well, let him tell you himself in Philippians 3. If anyone thinks he's got a reason to trust in himself, he's going to describe the life he had. I've had more. I was circumcised eight days after my birth. I'm from the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew. My parents were Hebrews. I had a strict view of the law, which is why I became a Pharisee. I was so enthusiastic I tried to hurt the church. No one could find fault with the way I obeyed the law of Moses. And those things were important to me. That's his old orientation. But now I think they're worth nothing because of Christ. Not only those things, but I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I've lost all those things. And now I know they're worthless Trash. He saw the cross as a call to self-denial, as a chance to partner with God in overcoming evil by being good. And to participate in the purpose of Jesus in changing and redeeming the world. In fact, he was evangelistic about suffering. It wasn't just that he was eager to suffer. He would invite you to join him. Look again what he said to Timothy just before he died. Don't be ashamed to tell people about the Lord Jesus. 
And don't be ashamed of me in prison for the Lord. Suffer with me for the good news. I'm suffering now because I tell the good news, but I'm not ashamed because I know Jesus, the one in whom I believed, and I'm sure he's able to protect what he's trusted me with until that day. But the surest proof of Paul's change wasn't just who he was willing to suffer for, but who he was willing to suffer with. Because the hardest part of God's call is often who he asks us to call on. You see, it's hard to commit to investing in those you've always dismissed. Because here's the thing about most orientations. They're all exclusive. You ever notice that? Almost anywhere you go in the world, you teach young people who they are by telling them who they're supposed to hate. If you grow up in Belfast, it's Protestants versus Catholics. In Rwanda, it's Hutus versus Tutsis. In the Middle East, it's Shiites versus Sunnis. Around the world, it's capitalists versus communists. Here in America, it's black versus white. It's Republican versus Democrat. It's Yankee versus Christian. We have... (laughs) We have a way of looking at life that says, I know who I am because I know who I'm supposed to hate. And then Jesus comes along and says... I have chosen him to go reach Gentiles. The people all his life he called dogs. Call to the very people he'd always disdained. I wonder how open you are to a call like that. I wonder how many of you, if you're honest, would be like Glenn and say, you know what? I had reached a point in my life where I wanted nothing to do with those kind of people. And then God calls. Because I want to say something. I'm not sure you can say you have really accepted what Christ has done for you if you won't accept what Christ wants to do through you. Harry Lenz in his book, Strength for Each Day, says they were having this evangelistic campaign in India. And a bunch of Christians were given testimonies of how Jesus changed their life. And there in the crowd, there was a Brahmin, a member of the uh, highest caste of Hindu society, a well-known government official. And he asked if he could speak at the end of the meeting. He just stood up and he said, I too have been saved, but not by Jesus. I've been saved by the religion of my fathers. And the quick-thinking evangelist said, I'm glad you've been saved. When the meeting's dismissed, we're going to go down and visit the outcast, take them some food and some blankets and some love. Come join us. Well, this troubled him because he believed that if his shadow touched an outcast, he would be defiled. So he stood back up and he said, I still insist that I am saved, but I'm not saved that far. You see, Paul was. The very cross that made him once think that Jesus was a fraud now convinced him that any man was his friend. He said in Ephesians 2 about Jews and Gentiles together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. The cross destroyed any reason for hating anybody. 
Now, that's a new orientation. Let me say that again. The cross destroys any reason for hating anybody. It calls us to completely reorient the way we look at people. The old categories just don't fit anymore. Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 5, we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. He said, we used to do that to Jesus, but we don't anymore. Because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new's come, and all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and now he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. I think for a lot of us, this is going to be the hardest part of the call of God. And it's also the part that calls attention to God more than anything else. Because here's the thing. Governments can make us live together. But only the Spirit of Christ can make us love each other. The story for 2,000 years has been amazing men and women. Answering the same call, the same hard call that God gave to Paul. Just recently I learned about another one of those people. His name is Dr. Nathan Barlow. He died in 2004 at the age of 94. Devoted 60 years of his life to treating people in Ethiopia with a condition called mossy foot. I don't know much about it. It's some kind of a condition that causes ulcers and sores to develop in your feet and legs. And you get infections and secondary diseases. And the result is that the people that would get it would be thrown out and discarded like lepers. And that's the people he chose to spend his life as a medical doctor serving. A couple of quick stories about him. He's about 93 years old. His daughter brings him home to the States. He stays for about three or four weeks and he can't stand it and begs her to send him back to the people he loves to die. And that's where he died. One more story. As a younger man, he developed a very bad toothache. Well, there was no dental clinic within miles to get him help. He had to leave the country to get his tooth fixed. It so bothered him, he said, never again do I want to leave my mission. For my teeth. So he had the dentist pull out all of his teeth and give him false ones so that a tooth would never again be a reason for him to escape his call. Now, I'm about to say something and you're going to think I'm mad and I'm not mad. I'm not going to make anyone feel guilty. This is not a rant. This comes out of love. There's going to come a great day. We're going to stand before the Lord God and He's going to give out rewards for faithfulness. And we're going to stand there with Polycarp and with missionaries to Zaire who watched their babies die. And with Dr. Nathan Barlow. And then I get emails saying, I'm thinking of changing churches because I don't like the music. They're too old, the songs are too new, the songs are too loud. And it took me 15 minutes to get off the parking lot, and the building's too hot. And I'm thinking, when you stand next to those men and women before God, you're going to wish you hadn't sent that. (laughs) Think about that. 
think about that before you hit send about the little petty things we Western Christians think and call suffering. This series is over. And a lot of you have told me it's been messing with you. I've had some amazing conversations with people trying to hear the call of God. Because you're ever bit as chosen as Paul is. And your call might be every bit as hard. But I'll tell you why you pick up the phone. Because the call comes from the living Christ. Paul later would say, if Jesus Christ is dead, there's no group of people on earth more foolish than Christians. If Jesus is dead, we are morons to be here right now doing what we're doing. But if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that changes everything. If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that means all religions are not basically the same because the rest aren't led by a risen Savior. If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that means all the other stuff that claims our allegiance is trash. If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then that means you give a cup of cold water to somebody for Jesus. It has eternal ramifications. See, what we have to decide this morning is, did Easter happen or didn't it? If Easter didn't happen, do something else with your life. But if it did happen, do not tell me you can go on with your plans and your orientation and then figure out Jesus is raised from the dead and say, isn't that nice? That's a doctrine I will remember. And then go right on with the rest of your agenda. Either Easter happened or it didn't. And if it did, you've got to reorient around it. Here's what Paul would say. I want to know Christ and the power that raised Him from the dead. I want to share in His sufferings and become like Him in His death. And then I have hope that I myself will be raised from the dead. I am betting my life on both sides of the grave. That Jesus is raised from the dead. I am more sure of that than the breath you just took. And I think it's more important. That's the reason I want to answer the phone. Because when you look at life that way, it's really not a hard Let's pray. Father, I'm asking now in Jesus' name that you help us resist the temptation to walk away from this message until we have dealt with it. What, God, do you want us to hear from this word today? Father, I'm going to give you a few moments in silence to speak to each person what you want them to hear. And now, God, please convict us that if we're doing anything with our lives that is keeping us from answering your call, we're trading trash 
for treasure. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One more verse. Reflecting on his call, Paul said this. That Ananias came to him and said, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Call him on his name. God's calling you. The proper response is to call back. So if you've never been baptized into Jesus, that's the response. If you have been, pick up the phone and be among the people God wants you to represent Jesus to. Call back. Because the call is for everybody. Every tongue, every nation, every color, every tribe. And you're a part of it. So come and be baptized while we stand up and sing.